Intersection is brought to you by Social Health Institute, exploring new and innovative ways for hospitals and healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategies. Learn more at socialhealthinstitute.com. Whether you are in the courtroom or in the general assembly, you have different ways that you try to reach people. Welcome to Intersection. I'm Bobby Rutu, storyteller. I'm Gary Clary, live here in Clemson, currently the state representative in the South Carolina House of Representatives for House District 3, which consists of Clemson Central, Six Mile, and Norris. Representative Gary Cleary was first elected to the South Carolina House of Representatives, House District 3, in 2014. After practicing law in the private sector for 17 years, Representative Cleary was elected as circuit judge by the South Carolina General Assembly in 1992 and re-elected in 1997. He retired in September 2002 and re-entered the private sector to work as Assistant General Counsel of Extended Stay America a Fortune 500 hotel company. I first met Representative Gary Cleary in 2013, where we both served on the Fort Hill Clemson Club board. From that point on, he asked me to just call him Gary. We are both Clemson graduates, and regardless of our age gap, we share a passion for our alma mater and public policy topics like domestic violence and even issues to move our state forward like the Confederate flag. Gary's story has many intersections but one I find most intriguing is his passion to listen. In the world of politics, this unique trait has served him well, a trait even us storytellers could learn to adopt as part of our own cultural DNA. This trait took him door to door, listening to his constituents, town halls, and even to the state house to co-author a bill removing the Confederate flag from the South Carolina State House grounds. Let's talk about knocking on doors. And that is one of the things that have fascinated me about your campaign. And, you know, I'm a lover of politics. Um, I have watched in my short little life presidential runs. You know, I, I was on the beat when I followed Senator McCain across the country. And I watched how these, these individuals really carried themselves out. And one of the things I loved about Senator McCain was his town halls. Mm-hmm. He loved talking to people. And I, and I sense that about you. Talk about walk, walking those, those neighborhoods and beating on doors and talking and listening to people. You know, when I, when I started in knocking on doors in, I guess it was March of 2014, I had my palm card, you know, picture a little bit about me what I believed in and you know I'd go up and knock on a door and not being a native of this area and having lived in Clemson for only the Clemson area for only seven years I'd knock on a door and say hi I'm Gary Clary and I'm running for South Carolina House of Representatives District 3 and they would look at me like I just stepped off a spaceship. <laughs> but, you know, once you 
the, the people were very receptive. Mm-hmm. I probably had, you know, less than a handful of, of bad experiences doing that, and I think that's remarkable. Uh, you know, when I say bad experiences, you know, just one person saying, you know, I, I'm not going to vote for you. I don't don't believe in anything that you uh, talk about. Uh, you're running against a friend of mine. That that kind of thing. To you know, having a dog dog chase you. Uh, <laughs> uh, went went to one house up outside of between Norris and and Liberty, and uh, they had a pet goat. <laughs> that uh, met me at the door, and uh, you know, just just things like that. But uh, I think it shows the genuine goodness and and welcoming nature that that the people around here have, that they're willing to listen to you. But one thing that really helped during that process, you know, did first mail piece, and when that mail piece hit. And I was going by houses. Uh, they were making the connection then. And things were going on in the campaign and issues were coming up. And, you know, it would establish a conversation and an explanation and a rapport. So, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it was a really interesting process. I, as my wife says, you know, he just loves to campaign, <laughs> and, and I do. I mean, I love to meet people. I, I love to hear what they have to say. I love to be able to help them if they have a problem. I think that's the thing that I learned from Senator Thurman as well is constituent service. Um. They're our clients. They're they're your clients. They're they're depending on you to navigate the the morass of government. And I think, as you say, you're exactly right. I started this late in life. I'm I'm certainly not going to be a career politician. It's going to be, uh, you know, people say term limits, and you know. Uh, there are people who believe in term limits. I'm I'm kind of mixed on on my opinion of that. I think that the that the voters have the opportunity to limit your term every two years in the House, every four years in the state Senate, and I think that's the way to to do it. Um, should there be a limit on the total number of years that serve? Probably so, because I think that. If you can bring people with fresh ideas into to the arena, and that's not saying that people who've been there a long time don't have them, because listen, we, my senator here uh, is one of the most effective people in Columbia, Senator Thomas Alexander. He's been there a long time, but let me tell you something. He's a great partner to have in in working for the people of this area. And, and then part of my district is also served by Senator Rex Rice from over at Easley. And, you know, different styles, uh, different uh, uh, time of service. Rex was in the uh, South Carolina House for about 16 years, and, and now he's back in the, sen- or in the Senate. But Thomas was in the House, ran for the Senate. And uh, so, you know, it's – I. People say, how long are you going to serve? And I say, well, as long as the people will see fit to elect me. But it's 
every two years is a decision because, you know, I mean, look at me, Bobby. Uh, I, I don't buy green bananas. You know, I'm getting to that stage in life. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I feel great. Uh, you know, I don't know what you're supposed to feel like. I turned 70 in, in January, and I don't know what you're supposed to feel like when you're 70 because that's uh, – that's just a number that I don't really relate to because I don't, I don't know what you're, you know, 70 supposed to be because I know how I am now and I still do all the things that I want to do, you know, work out just about every day and, and getting some sort of exercise. I, you know, don't run like I used to, but I still do a lot of things and, uh, it, it's, a uh, politics is, that constituent service, I think, is what what drives me. Uh, and then, you know, on the legislative side, it is so difficult to get a significant piece of legislation passed, and it is a process. Because South Carolinians are a different group of people. You know, I sit here and think about it. I don't know if you know this, but Sarah's great-great-grandfather, the Reverend Landrum, is signed the secession, is on that marble piece in the state house. Wow. You know, he, and we look at, and I'll, as I've been reading his history and understanding where he comes from, South Carolina is a different, it's a different group of people, but we're very relational. Yeah. We like shaking hands. We like talking in in front of people we like to hear and we like to share and we, it's all about comfort and and it's it's all the way down to the way that you grip a shake wouldn't yeah. you say yeah yeah you know the, the the thing about it while we are while we are different uh, a very diverse uh five million people now uh the, there's still that basic relational aspect that you know, anywhere you go in South Carolina, there's a connection. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to travel this state for 10 years as a circuit judge and held court in 32 of the 46 counties. And, and people ask me, you know, well, why didn't you hold court in the other 14 counties? I said, well, you know, I really didn't want to. Uh, but you know, it's just the way the schedule worked. But, you know, there were some places that I would rather not go. But but it, it, it still uh, goes to show you that um, it's a very small state and a small world. And, you know, our, our son-in-law's uh, – He's originally from up around the D.C. area, and uh, when when he and Adair started dating, and you know, he we were living in Gaffney then, and and Trish and I had grown up there, and our children uh, grew up there, and I mean, you know, we just knew everybody, and he that was something that was very foreign to him. But now that he has lived in South Carolina since since he came to school here at Clemson, he understands. He's a, a college basketball coach uh, for for the women at Lander University. He understands all those connections in South Carolina now because he recruits all over the state and the southeast and, and even nationally. But 
he understands and appreciates those connections because he'll run into somebody that knows me or, you know, or I'll run into someone that knows him. So, you know, that's the beautiful thing about our state. You know, two days ago that from this recording, you know, we watched the most horrific thing, one of the most horrific things that happened in South Carolina's history. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of them. There's a lot of things that haven't been talked about, but this one was very personal. Um, when the Emanuel Nine happened, um, South Carolina is a state that everybody knows everybody, and so everybody got chills because we somewhere there was a connection to that one of the individuals that was impacted inside that church. Talk about that from a legislator's position. You know, when that happened, what was it like? on the side that we don't see? Well, you know, it was, to, to take a step back, that was at the, basically the end of my first year in Columbia. And I remember coming home in May and, and telling Trish, I said, you know, I, I just don't know about, you know, if politics is for me. I've, I've had a, you know, I went from that, that area of, of, being in control in the courtroom to that big room where, you know, no one's in control. And I said, you know, I, I just, I was floundering as to finding my place. And when, when the Emanuel nine, uh, that, that horrific event occurred, we were, we were in session, still in session. And, uh, we had gone back, you know, on, on, uh, an extended session for for vetoes and 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 other issues, and we had adjourned on that Wednesday, mm-hmm. and it's been a long day. Uh, I got something to eat. Went back to the, the where I was staying and uh, went to bed early. Shut my phone off, and when I got up the next morning and opened up my phone, and I saw what had happened. I mean. I was sick. You know, uh, Senator Clementa Pinckney, uh, I had known him when he was a page in the House because I was a, a candidate for circuit judge and around. And then he went to the House and was, you know, was a House member, Senator. And, you know, that was personal. And it was, um, you know, that was uh, that Thursday. Uh, and I had gotten wind that that my friend and colleague up in Spartanburg, uh, now former representative Doug Brandon, uh, was going to introduce a bill to to take down the Confederate flag from the grounds of the state house. And so I called him and I said, Doug, you know, I understand this is what you want to do. And I said, you know, I want to I want to sponsor it with you. So. Uh, he he said he, he said, Judge, you don't need you know, he said I, I hear you, he said, but you know, you don't need to do this. He said, I don't know if I'll run for reelection uh in two years. He said, but you know, this is the kind of thing that can beat you. And it was one of the things that did beat him, uh, two years ago. So uh, I said, Well, you know, listen, we're we're gonna talk about this. So that was on a Friday. My wife and I were sitting on our 
porch on Saturday afternoon and um, phone rang and I answered it and it was Andy Shane from State Newspaper. And uh, Andy said, Judge, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about uh, about Confederate flag issue. And I said, you know, it's, I understand that, that people are very passionate about it. I said, listen, I had a an ancestor, my great-great-grandfather, Billy Cantrell, was killed at, at uh, the Battle of Manassas. And I said, but, you know, this is, this is divisive. And when you see what was driving Dylan Roof, uh, you know, we need to remove this impediment from, from our capital because it's, it's offensive. And I said, if, you know, it's one thing to fly that flag at your house, but not at the state's house. I said, I have no problem with someone flying it at their house. Let's, let's talk about what you just said, the state's house. What does that mean? In your terms, what does the state's house mean? It's everyone's house. It doesn't matter what station of life you come from, what, uh, what your race is, uh, that belongs to everyone. And when, when I look around the, that big room, that, as I refer to it, the House of Representatives and all of its majesty, and I look out at the, the faces that make up that body, it's reflective of South Carolina. You know, it's black, white, you name it. That is everyone's house. And I can remember walking down the steps of the Capitol uh, toward downtown Columbia, toward uh, that Confederate monument, and with some of my African-American colleagues. And it was like a stick in your eye because of where it was. You know, it had been moved uh, in 2002 from the dome as part of a compromise to the Confederate memorial, and it was just right there. And, you know, during the debate that we had about the removal of it, um, that was that was part of the issue. But anyhow, Andy Shane said, you know, so you're on record as wanting to take it down. I said, absolutely. So Doug Brown and I were the first two Republicans, and that night, you know, it was during the uh, – lead up to the presidential uh, primary, and uh, Mitt Romney, Jeb Bush, George Bush, uh, everyone said, take that flag down. And that next day, you know, it hit, well, that afternoon, it hit the wire. Uh, It was in the paper the next day. then on Monday morning, I, I get up uh, and getting ready to start my day and looked at my phone, and there was a, a message from uh, MSNBC, a producer, saying, you know, we'd like to, you know, for you to be on MSNBC at such and such time, and, you know, we'll arrange to get you over to Greenville. And I said, listen, there's no sense in, in going to Greenville because from where you and I are sitting uh, within about 50 feet, we've got one of the greatest broadcast studios around. And so they arranged for, for me to 
be on a couple of shows there. And during that, that first hit that I did, uh, word came down that Governor Haley was going to have a press conference that afternoon. And so uh, as I was leaving, I got a call on my phone saying, can you be back here at 3 o'clock because Governor Haley's going to have her press conference. We think she's going to say, take the flag down, and we want to get your reaction. And, you know, they had there were three or four of us hooked up as, as they do on that. And so that I like to think that what Doug Brandon and I and a lot of a lot of other people did was was the impetus and then the the galvanizing force to you know to move this forward and and to result in in removing the flag from from the state house grounds and and you know during the debate uh, and it was listen that 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 flag meant a lot to to a lot of people in in different ways. But uh, it happened quick. Oh, it, it was very quick. And I think that was the key to it, because if we had not been in session and it had all of this had been talked about and tried to do something come back in January, I think it, it, it would have never happened. But you had to come back into session. Yeah, we, we were in we were still in session. You were in session. And, 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 and we were able to amend the sine die resolution to include the uh, consideration of removal right. of the flag because the Senate was the they actually passed the bill very quickly. Right. And then it came to us, I think the next evening, wasn't it? Day. Yeah. And and you know, we were we were in session. We were in session started and went into the night and it was really fascinating all this is going on and it had the attention not only of the state but the nation and the world because I was getting messages from people around the world that were watching it and during one of my speeches I said you know the world is watching us today. Now a quick break to give a quick shout out to the network that sports intersection, Touchpoint Media, a collection of podcasts dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare, including digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, CIO and technology strategies, the challenges of the online physician, the power of the e-patient, and most importantly, the power of storytelling. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health. Let's rejoin the show. So let me let me ask you something. You know, and this is kind of a two prong. Well, maybe let me ask this first question. Many people say it was too quick. We reacted too quick. That was we let the politicians down in Columbia, use this moment as an opportunity to leverage it to take down our flag. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you heard a lot of that. Yeah. Listen, I, I received, uh, you know, let's talk about emails. On that issue, I received probably just shy of 2,500 emails. Uh, I had about 700 from within my district. I, the had about, uh, I want to say, 800 from around the state additional ones. And then there were a 1,000 
from outside of the state. Mm. And but the interesting thing in my district, uh, over ninety two percent were to take that flag down. Of course, and this was after I'd made my decision. Uh, so you know, I didn't say, well, you know, I'm gonna wait and see how many emails I get to to make my decision. I made my decision because I felt like it was the right thing to do. Because you know, in in our history here in South Carolina, we've we've done a, a lot of a lot of things, and we. We don't like uh, people telling us what to do. We do it on our own time. Yes, sir. And and the the time was right. And also during the debate, I said, you know, listen, if that flag had gone up in 1862 rather than 1962, I could understand the historical significance in a better way. But we all know why it went up in 1962, because it was because of the federal government and their uh, approach to desegregation of of schools, and you know that was the that was the overriding issue, and and I also said, listen, you know we we have the Heritage Act that requires a two thirds vote of both bodies to change, you know, the name of a street that has historical significance, a monument, anything else, including that flag. And we were able to get, overwhelmingly get that two-thirds vote. But uh, I said, you know, I'm not in favor of changing the name of any street, changing a monument, changing the name of a building. I think this is important from the standpoint that most of those other things that I've talked about have been there for a very long time. You stated, and you were quoted in the New York Times by saying this, and it, this is what it says, Representative Gary E. Cleary, a white Republican from Pickens County, reminded members the world is watching us and said that the flag should be taken down for economic development, for jobs, and all things we want to do here. Mr. Mr. Cleary also appealed to the conscience of his fellow lawmakers, quoting an old church song, red and yellow, black and white, we are all precious in his sight. He said, Jesus loves the little children of the world. What do you think when you hear that? When I read your quote, your conversation? Well, it brings everything back. You know, a, a true flood of emotions, and and you know, I'm very proud of the way that that we handled uh, that episode in South Carolina. That we handled the debate in in the House. Uh, it was contentious. It was uh, it was spirited. It was thorough, and but everyone that wanted to have something to say could say it. But at the end of the day, uh, I think we moved. I don't think. I know we moved South Carolina forward. Um, you know, I still get messages from people about that. And it, it's positive. Now, are some people still unhappy with the decision? Sure. But, you know, that's politics. 
and that's with any difficult decision that's made. You know, as, as I tell my children, you know, if things are easy, anyone can do it. But there are certain people at certain times that have to make very hard decisions. And that was a difficult decision. There's no question about it. You told me in a recent conversation together about the day that it came down. Mm-hmm. How the day was set. We knew what the schedule was going to be. Governor Haley was going to walk out. It was going to happen. And you talked about being in that room with certain family members. The bill was was passed uh, on July 9th at about, I want to say, 1.30 in the morning, somewhere around in there. And, you know, by the time I got home, geared back down, uh, you know, my wife was there and my grandson was there. Uh, and by the time I wound down, I got to bed maybe 3.30, something like that. Well, my phone woke me up about, I want to say 7.30, and it was a message from from one of Governor Haley's staff uh, wanting to know if, if I could be uh, to uh, call them. And so I called, and, and Governor invited uh, me to her office before the bill signing. And it was, I think there were two or three legislators that she invited down there. And um, when I walked into the, the governor's conference room, it was, uh, had, had relatives of the Emanuel Nine in there. And that was one of the... <clears throat> Talk about walking into that room. The moment that the doors open and, and you had to take in that visual, explain oh, that to us. Well, you know, it's when you think what those those family members had gone through over the past month. Uh, it really wasn't even a month, it was three weeks. And, you know, to introduce myself to them and to to try to think what they had had gone through because I went to the service that they had in Charleston. Um, you know, there was the House and the Senate were, you know, we, we traveled together down there. And, you know, seeing the, the, just riding through the streets of Charleston and seeing the mass of people there and the outpouring of love and affection over that great tragedy and then looking at that small group of people that had been had their lives just torn apart and you know I went around and introduced my introduced myself to them and then Governor Haley comes in and she worked her way around every member of the room and I think I was the last person that the, the way that she came in that that uh how are you doing, sir? Good, to see you. Good morning. Good to see you. Lewis Lynn. Nice to meet you. On our board of trustees. Oh. That's, hey, but you know what? That's good. He, yeah, he's the man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's the man. Good to see you, Lewis. <laughs> but when she got around to me, and listen, Governor Haley and I, I had opposed her on some things during the year. 
And uh, but she gave me a hug and she said, "Thank you for what you did." And you know that was. Then we went upstairs. She signed the bill, and then the next day, the flag was taken down. And you know it was, as you said, it was very quick. And but I think that was the key to getting it done because you know in Mississippi, there was legislation introduced to remove the flag there, uh, change the flag. Uh, or, or remove the flag, I think it was, it went nowhere. So, you know, it, 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 was, uh, it was really in a historic time. And when you are going through a historic moment, you don't realize it until you have the ability to reflect on it. I mean, you know, we all knew it was something that had attracted a lot of attention, but I don't think any of us understood the significance of it. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me, you know, as a storyteller, is the fact that that story happened very fast. Mm -hmm. We have the shooting, Mm -hmm. which just ripped us apart. And then the second thing that happened that I think touched us was watching the families forgive him, Hmm. which to this day still gives me chill bumps. Do you think if it wasn't for the forgiveness of those families, we would, would we be still be in this conversation? Yeah, I I think that went so far. uh, I, I think if their attitude had been different, that that may have galvanized the the sides just I, I think that that just unconditional forgiveness, that love that that they showed in spite of all their pain and hurt, uh, that is such a lesson. Uh, for all of us to learn. It was just like, you know, my grandson was there, and I thought it was a great lesson for him to learn to to see that. You know, he lives down in Greenwood, and his senator is uh, Floyd Nicholson, who is an African-American and a, a dear friend of mine. And I have a picture of, of Connor and Senator Nicholson from that day. And, Bobby, that night when that when the House passed, that that resolution and the final approval and the African-American members of that house, tears are streaming down their face. Uh, I think that was one of the more emotional uh, moments that that I can remember in in my life. And, I, you know, I've seen a, a lot, but uh, I can't. I think the whole key to it is I have thought about if I were black, if I had been through what these folks have been through. Uh, I mean, we. I don't think there's no way I can r- really relate to that because I've never been in that situation. But listen, I grew up in a in a town, and there was a, a a produce stand market type thing, and they had a a swinging two 
cafe-style doors that were made, you know, little window panes. That, and on that the door frame, there was painted a sign, no in allowed. And I still remember that. Uh, you know, it just, I grew up in a time when the Ku Klux Klan was active, you know, burning crosses in, in people's yards, having rallies. Um, I mean, it, it was just, a, a, you know, a local doctor's wife was uh, advocating uh, desegregating the schools and their house was bombed. Uh, I mean, it, you know, that was, the, that was the period of time that I grew up in, so I was aware of that. But, and then we lived uh, on a corner of a street, and right across the street from us was where the black neighborhood started. Mm. And so I grew up with, you know, playing with, with African-American, my friends, but we went to different schools. Mm. So, you know, it was, uh, that was quite a time for uh, a guy who grew up in Gaffney, South Carolina, and, and you know, wind up, go through the circuitous route that I've had in my life to wind up at that point in time in the, in the South Carolina legislature. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about that, that whole episode, it allowed me to figure out what I needed to be. Uh, you know, I've been a Republican so long. I mean, it wasn't cool when I was a Republican. We were a, a, a state that was dominated by the Democratic Party. Uh, when I came to Clemson, I was a young Republican. We could have a, a, a meeting in a phone booth. And then I went to work with Senator Thurman, and, you know, he had changed parties in, in uh, the, the 60s, and he and his team, uh, we all built the Republican Party in this state. And I figured out then what I've got to be is that reasonable, sensible voice of the party that I grew up with. Uh, because the the dynamics of of my party ha- has changed so much. You know, people don't really say that they're Republicans. They're conservatives. And I think that there's a... Uh, you know, that's, I'm conservative when it comes to fiscal matters. I believe that we need to keep our uh, financial house in order, and we have to have a balanced budget in South Carolina. But I also believe that there are, uh, you've got to be a Republican with a heart. Uh, there are issues that, social issues that have to be addressed. And, uh, you know, I supported uh, Governor John Kasich when he ran for president. And when I first met him. I love was, him, by the way. Oh, God. I, I was trying to figure out who I was going to support and uh, went to Columbia when he filled out his paperwork to, to be a candidate here and met with him at the South Carolina Republican headquarters. 
Republican Party headquarters, and uh, he said, you know, tell me about yourself. And I told him, I said, well, you know, I was a judge, legislator. And he said, you got that thing backwards because it's the same way in, in Ohio to a degree, right. even though their process is different. But uh, he said, well, you know, tell me. And I told him, you know, where I, you know, what my view of of what I was doing uh, was and and I said you know I just believe that that you have to have I'm a Republican with a heart and he said you know I like that he said you mind if I use that I said no he said but I'm gonna say I'm a Republican with a big heart mm. and um, so you know what what I try to do now is, is you know I'm very I'm very uh, much in tune with protecting our environment. Uh, I believe that, you know, God gave us this beautiful place here, and we've got to do everything we can to protect it. And I'm very proud of the record that I've established in, in taking care of our environment. I believe in protecting individual rights, uh, whether it be, you know, through our legal process, uh, criminal uh court system or our civil court system. Um, I firmly believe that, that that's what we should be about. The New York Times quote that I talked and I read to you earlier, you could have gotten in front of the legislature that night on the vote for the flag to come down. And you could have appealed to the logic. You could have talked about economic development. You could have talked about all the things. But you appealed to the emotion. You said... Red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why the appeal to emotion? Well, you know, whether you are in the courtroom or in the general assembly, you have different ways that you try to reach people. And because there was so much emotion on the side to keep the flag up I felt like it was appropriate to flip that argument to show the other side of it too it's not just heritage it's for the the people who had relatives that fought for the confederacy there's the other side of it that people were hurt as a result of all the things that evolved from slavery and everything that was attendant there too. And when I looked at my colleagues that were seated there, you know, you've got a lot of different, a lot of different folks. They look different. They're different colors. They come from different uh, nationalities. Uh, but we're all South Carolinians. We're all Americans. And I wanted to appeal to the greater good because we, every day, start our session with a chaplain who delivers a verse and a prayer. And I thought it was appropriate for me to think back to when I was growing up, and that was a, a song that we sung in Bible school. Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. 
They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And I just thought that was appropriate to let's treat everybody with dignity and respect and love. We saw what the Emmanuel 9 families, how they exhibited forgiveness and love. Let's start doing that in the General Assembly. And, you know, there are very few moments that come along where when you're having a debate, you can hear a pin drop. Because, as you know, when you come to the house, I just tell people it's organized chaos. It uh, is. You know, it's like being on the floor of the stock exchange. <laughs> and, you know, the speaker's up there pounding the gavel to try to get her, get some order. Not that way during this debate. And everyone's sitting there paying attention. And listen, there were a lot of magnificent speeches that day. Not saying that mine was. Mine was just, you know, I was doing the best I could. But I felt like it was important for for people on, from both sides of the aisle to come together because the key to that to that legislation was getting a clean bill. Had we amended that bill that the Senate sent over in any way, they weren't going to accept it, and we'd had a we'd had a logjam, and we had. Uh, one of the amendments late that night was to replace the flag, the, the, the Confederate flag flying outside the state house with a, another, with a South Carolina flag. I remember that. And, but that pole that had carried that flag would still be there. It was my idea and the small group of Republicans that galvanized around this this bill that we weren't going to accept any changes. We owed that to our friend and colleague, Senator Pinckney, and the eight other souls that died in Charleston that Wednesday night. And, you know, it was... It was a huge calculated risk to, to think that we could get a clean bill. But, uh, you know, it was just that, that, that vote on that amendment was a 60-60 tie. There was a, a, a motion to, to table it, a 60-60 tie. So 120 out of 124 voted. Uh, there were some people out of, out of state uh, on mission trips, that kind of thing, because this is during the dead of the summer. And so we had to continue the debate, and it was defeated by about five votes, I think. Hmm. So that enabled us to get the clean bill that Governor Haley signed the next afternoon. And, um, you know, it was, I mean, there were a lot of people that, uh, that were very passionate about the argument to keep it up, and I respected that. I still respect it. Uh, as I said when we started, it's not that you or I can't fly a Confederate flag at our house. It's that we shouldn't fly 
that flag at the people's house, the state's house, the state house. Uh, because if it offends anyone, then, you know, that impediment should be removed. Now, there's a monument there that, that, to, that the Daughters of the Confederacy erected in the late, I, I want to say it's in the maybe the early 1870s. And, you know, that monument was struck by lightning <laughs> and reduced to, to rubble, and they rebuilt it. But that, those are the things that tell the story. And that has historical significance. You can go around that, that cap, those capital grounds and see all the different monuments. Uh, Jimmy Burns statue there. To the wars. Strong Thurman's there. And do these people, are, were they perfect? Absolutely not. None of us are. But what we try to do, or at least what I try to do in politics, is to do what I believe the people of my district sent me to do, and that's to be reasonable and sensible in my approach to government. Representative, Judge, I'm used to just calling you Gary, yeah. and but thank you for your time. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and exploration. Most importantly, the many intersections inside the world of storytelling. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, a podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Go to touchpoint.health for many other podcasts exploring digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, CIO and technology strategies, the challenges of the online physician, the power of the e-patient, and most importantly, the power of storytelling. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health. Have a good day.